0: We're going down to the river, down to the river, down to the river to pray, yeah, yeah. Let's get washed by the water, washed by the water rise up in amazing grace. Let's go down, down, down to the river. You will the change. Let's go down, down, down to the river. you have your Bibles, let's go to the book of... Exodus chapter 33. Some theologians believe Israel was at Sinai for around three months. Some say it was 11 months after being delivered out of Egypt. I don't know precisely how long it was, but I'm sure of this one thing. I know what God was doing during that process. He just got them out of Egyptian bondage. Now he's getting ready to reestablish their identity. He's getting ready to, to let them know, hey, look, you're not, you're not what you was when you were in Egypt. So he's getting, he's getting Egypt out of the people during this process. And he's putting into place commandments and covenants and coverings to help them with their new their new freedom. He's reestablishing them they were no longer bound but liberated and guided by his presence and Moses even receives instructions on building a sanctuary God said I'm going to dwell among my people Moses in that sanctuary he was also instructed to make the ark of the covenant a portable gold-covered wooden chest that resembled the presence of God and whenever they set out the children of Israel they would pick up the ark and Moses would say rise up Lord May your enemies be scattered, and may your foes flee before you. And when they settled, they would set the presence of God down. And when it came to rest, Moses would say, return, Lord, to the countless thousands of Israel. All this was being put into place because God wanted to dwell among his people. Typologies and shadows of what Christ would one day embody. Why? Because God doesn't just want to deliver us or bless us. God wants to live among us. And we even read about it in Acts 2. We would become the temple or the tabernacle of His presence, the housing of His glory. You see, getting out of Egypt or sin is never the end. Anybody hear what I just said? Your deliverance was only the beginning of what God's getting ready to do in your life. Instead, deliverance must lead to development that starts a journey of discipleship, growth, and newness of life, empowered by the very presence of God. Can't do this on my own. I need His presence. Got to develop a relationship with Him. He fights for me and empowers me and instructs me and intercedes for me. Listen, destinations are about prophecy. However, processes are about learning the presence of God on the way to prophecy being fulfilled. And we read the lord spoke to moses said moses lead the people into the promised land and he said i'm vowing to you that i'm going to drive out their enemies all your enemies moses lead them into the promised land and i'm gonna drive out all their enemies but because of the people's sin for example remember the golden calf they built while god was giving moses this revelation on the mount the ten commandments on the mountain moses walks down after having an experience with god His face is is shining with the glory of God. He's ready to impart the word of God. And he he finds the Israelites who God just delivered dancing around a golden calf. Some scholars believe that this golden calf was not meant to replace God, but to make him more tangible to the Israelites. Using the world they just left as the model to create a God they were comfortable with. Can't manipulate God. Listen, God's not going to fit in your box or my box. God's God. He molded us. We didn't mold him. That's why I want a residual. I, I don't want to makeshift anointing. I don't want to come in here and say, oh God's presence is here and it's really not here. I want the, the same anointing and spirit of God that was in this book. I want it to fall in this place. I want it to be authentic anointing where deliverance happens and People are set free and filled and restored and redeemed. Watch this. There were some other things that happened. But God said this. He said, Moses, I'm going to give you the promised land. I'm going to drive out your enemies. But I can't go with you. He said, if I go with you, I'm going to have to destroy. I'm probably going to end up destroying the people. God said, I can't associate my presence with rebellion, selfishness, idolatry, and stubbornness. He said, I won't go. So consequently, God would not dwell among his people any longer if they moved forward the way they were going. They could have the promised land, but without him. The tabernacle would not be the place of his presence. However, they could still have the promise. And this sobering passage to me lets me know that it's possible to to receive blessings yet lack the presence of God in my life. And the goal of a believer's life should be knowing God and not merely receiving his blessings. We should be grieved at the thought of doing life or church without the presence of God in it. It ought to grieve us. Look, we could build a 600-seat auditorium. We can add more parking. This church can run 2000. But if the presence of God is in here, it should grieve us. It should grieve our hearts. So God said, "I'm not going to go, Moses." And we know Moses pleaded with God and I'll give you the rest of the story toward the end of the message. But I want to focus on one verse, Exodus 33 and 15. And I want this to be our prayer today. This is what Moses said to God. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. We would rather rather stay where we're at than inherit the promised land if your presence isn't with us. So i want to talk to you for a little while this morning on this topic prioritizing his presence prioritizing his presence god we need your anointing today i need your spirit i need your help god i'm preaching about you you're going to do something powerful in our midst there's going to be a demonstration god i feel it strongly in my spirit i pray for every individual here god the enemy is trying to drown out your presence in our life but Tonight, we're going to, today, we're going to unclutter some things, God. We're going to move some things out, get some things out of the way so that your presence becomes the priority in our lives. Somebody shout in Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord one more hand clap and you may be seated this morning. I read a true story about a young man who had just entered boot camp. And on the first morning, the unit was dragged out of bed by the drill sergeant and made to assemble outside. During boot camp, the drill sergeant's first objective is to instill fear in the recruits. So true to form, this sergeant stood in, in front of the line of soldiers and snarled at them. My name is Sergeant Jackson. Is there anyone here who thinks they can whip me? Believe it or not, someone raised their hand. The sergeant walked right over to the six foot three, 280 pound private, looked him dead in the eye, and with all the malice he could muster, repeated, So you think you can whip me, soldier? Private looked him square in the eyes and said, without a doubt, yes, sir, I do. The sergeant then grabbed him by the arm and led him out in front of the group. And the sergeant said, men, this is my new assistant. Now, is there anyone here who thinks they can whip both of us? I've come to let the enemy know. I've got an assistant beside me. And do you think you can whip both of us? Is there anybody that's in a fight? You've been in a struggle and a battle. And you showed up here today. You've got the God of glory on your side. He's got all power in heaven. Do you think you can whip both of us? Tap your neighbor and say, you're not alone. You've got the most powerful being next to you. Someone needs a shout right now. I feel it in the Holy Spirit. No weapon formed against me is going to prosper. Come on. Say, I'm not going to lose. God's for me, and if he's for me, who or what can be against me? He's on my side. He's not going anywhere. I love what he told Joshua. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. Joshua, as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. Watch this, and I will never forsake you. Be strong and courageous, Joshua, not because of your talent or your ability or your giftings or your strength. Be strong and courageous because I'm going to be right there beside you every step of the way. You see, the most important promise of God is not that you won't have to fight. If you're here today and you think you won't have to fight, you got to fight. The most important promise of God is that you... That, that it's not that you'll never cry. You will cry. It's not that you'll never struggle. You will struggle. But the greatest promise that we have today is when God said, I'll be with you in the middle of it all. You're going to fight. You're going to cry. You're going to struggle. You're going to get knocked down. You're going to have successes and failures. But I'm going to be right there in the middle Somebody ought to rejoice. You're not on your own today. You thought you were all by yourself. You're not all by yourself. God is right there in the middle. He's to the right, to the left, in front, in back. In me, over me, and he's keeping me intact. By myself? Devil, you better look out today. He's not confined to a certain longitude or latitude he's not confined to a three-dimensional world and he's not even confined to the fourth dimension of time he's everywhere he's in all places at all times god is near us in our triumphs and our achievements our failures and our missed opportunities god is near us when we fall in love but god is also near when we're wounded and scarred god is near us when we prosper and are blessed but god is also near when we're bankrupt and broken god is near so wherever you are today, if, you, if you're up on the mountaintop, just living the best life, the blessed life, or if you're in the valley, barely making it, we both got the same promise. God's right there with us. <laughs> Fighting beside us. We witnessed this in 2 Chronicles 20. The children of Judah are surrounded by a powerful armies. So King Jehoshaphat goes straight to God. He says, God, we can't whip them. There's no way. If we match our army up against their army, there's no way we're coming out on top. We're not capable of fighting such an army. And God answered the king's prayer through a man by the name of Jehaziel, through who the spirit of the Lord encouraged the king and the people. Watch what it says, 2 Chronicles 20, 15. This is what this man, this man brought the word of the Lord to Jehoshaphat. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat, I love him, God says, listen, stop talking. Stop telling me about what all you got wrong and what all's not right. Just just listen. Stop telling me that you're going to lose every battle and it's never going to work out and you're never going to be all right and you'll never be. Just listen. Some of you need to tell the enemy to listen. Listen. Listen to what he's about to say. He created you just like you created. Listen. King Joseph and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but it's God's. In other words, the Lord was telling his people, don't worry about a thing. I got this all worked out. In fact, even even through the king's forces, even even through that, that, that other king's forces and that other kingdom, they had no chance with God on the side of Jehoshaphat. And at this news, Jehoshaphat and all the people fell down on their face while the Levites stood up to sing praises to God. And the next morning was just a continuation of praise and exalting God. And Jehoshaphat stationed the praise team. God said, You ain't got to shoot one arrow, you ain't got to lift one fist. He said, I want you to go stand in front of that army. And I want you to just begin to sing and praise and magnify me and talk about my faithfulness. And as they exalted the king of kings, God caused the enemy forces to turn on each other. And soon all Judah could find on the battlefield were a defeated foe. They whipped themselves. Jehoshaphat and the... the, Come on, somebody. Jehoshaphat and the people of God didn't even have to lift a hand. All they had to do was say, God, you're good. You're with me. You're on my side. We're going to be all right. I don't have to worry. I don't have to fret. God, you are here for me. (laughs) Enemy began to whip themselves. Now, understand, we may not be a king facing a national, national military crisis, but we are just as dependent on spiritual intervention today. We need God. I don't need my own ingenuity, strength, or ability. I need his presence. Joseph and them went out there, they just took the spoils of war. They didn't even have to fight the battle physically. They just fought it spiritually, and they took the spoils of war. And they went back to the temple, praising and magnifying God. This is how we fight our battles. We don't fight it with physical weapons. We fight it through prayer, praise, worship, exalting, making a habitation for the presence of God to show up in our lives. And I feel like the Holy Spirit told me to tell you something today. I feel like the Holy Spirit sent me to the river and told me, get the worshipers ready. Because some of you are getting ready to win some battles at the river today. Because you're getting ready to make his presence your priority. You're tired of trying to do it on your own. You're exalted and wore, exhausted and wore out. And God sent me here to tell you, just get your praise back out. Just do what you were created to do. Just create an atmosphere and habitation for the king to show up. Come on, somebody take a moment and push back. Somebody take a moment and lift your voice. Somebody take a moment and break out of doubt and fear and insecurity and failure and condemnation. Come on, I'm breaking out. I'm not on my own. I'm going to win the battle today. I'm going to win the battle today. Our praise positions his presence. God shows up in the midst of our praise. He's omnipresent. I'm not present, but he does not manifest his presence the same to everybody. Where praise is, God shows up with his attributes. And when his presence, when his manifest presence shows up, it brings his power. That's why David could say, look, I used to be young, but now I'm old. But I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. That's why David could say, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff. They comfort me. David said, no matter where I go, your presence is the same. And when your presence shows up, your power shows up. You know what he said in Psalm 16 and 11? You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. For where the king is, there is kingdom authority. He speaks and everything bends to his precious name. That's how much power is in his presence. When you're hungry... He'll show up as the bread of life. When you're thirsty, the fountain will come nigh. When you're weary, his presence will give you rest. When you need direction, he'll show up as the way maker. Whenever you need help, God will provide by his presence. By his presence. By his presence. Can I go a little deeper? Young person, just breaking out. you trying to figure out who you are. Who am I? I get it. Who am I? Do I have what it takes? Can I do this? Will I succeed? I talk a good fight, but can I really fight? To that couple that came in here, your marriage is struggling. You want to have a godly, healthy marriage, but man, things have been uncertain. You've been in a battle. It's been a struggle, and you're trying to process it all, and you don't know what the future holds. To those who say, I want to be used by God, but I don't know if I'm capable. What if I fail? What if I get hurt? What if tragedy strikes? What if life doesn't work out the way I plan? What if? Are you ready? I've got the answer for your what if today stop worrying about the what if and just understand i will be with you if you get the answer to every question that life throws at you right, which is simply God will be with you. No matter, everybody else may leave you, but God says, I'm not leaving. Life will begin to work itself out if you make his presence the priority of your life. I don't need to know all the answers. I don't need to know what tomorrow holds. I, don't, I just need today. I need your presence today, God. I need to be lifted up today, God. I need your anointing today, God. Listen. People's going to forsake you, but God says, I'll never forsake you. I'm still in the house when everybody else walked out the house. Tragedy may strike, plans may fail, and doors may shut, but God said, I'll I'll still be there opening new doors. I'll still be making a way for you. The presence of God got you your job, but the presence of God is going to be with you if you ever lose that job. Stop worrying about it. The only thing sure in this world is the presence of God. I got you. I got you in the hospital, I got you in college, I got you in the classroom, I got you in your marriage, I got you in your struggles, I got you in your strength, I got you in your weakness, I got you. That's the promise. I am with you. I got you. I won't forsake you when you're failing. I won't run out on you when you're tired. I I won't back up when you're against the wall. I won't run when you disappoint me. I will be with you. Uh, To me, that's the best part of this word is he's with me. The one thing the devil can never take away from me is he's with me. And if I lean on anything else, if I try, if I try to put my, my spouse or my kids in the place of his presence, it's going to fail. It's shifty. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. It'll shift on me. But if I make his presence my priority and I lean on that presence when I don't know what to do and I don't know where to go and I realize that he's with me, then everything begins to fall back in place. The promise of his presence is more significant than anything else in my life, including prophecies, promises, or blessings. We must stop coveting presence and start coveting his presence. I've got to stop. I've got to stop wanting, wanting, wanting the blessings and forgetting about the blesser. And I've got to stop bringing my life to everything else trying to fix it. And I've got to bring it to the creator who knows what I need. He knows my emotions. He knows my weaknesses. He knows my strengths. He knows my shortcomings. He knows my temperament. He knows if I had a bad day. He knows if I had a good day. He knows. Israel had firsthand experience with God's presence. For months they had followed God as he led them miraculously out of Egyptian captivity and through the Red Sea. They followed his pillar of cloud by day and his pillar of fire by night as he led them to Mount Sinai. And there at the mount, they've seen his power and majesty as he communicated with them with fire and lightning and shaking the earth beneath their feet. He's already shown his power and majesty with all the miracles he's done. He's already showed his love and his protection for his people. Yet any time he didn't operate on their schedule or to their preference, They would immediately want to return to what they were comfortable with before deliverance. Can I tell you, I'm not an addiction expert, Brother Ralph. I Thank God for Revive. I know there's chemical imbalance. But I have learned this in some counseling that I've done. I have learned that a lot of addiction is habit-based as well. Because we always want to go back to what we're comfortable with. There is chemical imbalance. I'm never going to take away from that. That's real. It's a struggle. It's a battle. But also there's the habit of the addiction. And it's not just an addiction to drugs. It's it's an addiction to media. It's an addiction sometimes to church without the presence of God. It's an addiction sometimes to religion because we're comfortable with it, but we don't even realize that the presence of God isn't even in it anymore. We can't become new creatures if we don't silence the call back to old habits. We can't go into what God wants us to go into if we don't silence the call back to Egypt, back to the way it was before God's presence ever showed up and took us out of what we were in. Living for God takes a made-up mind, and the only way to keep a made-up mind is to break through and invite God daily into our world. They were tired of following a God without knowing when or how or where. Or what he was going to do. They wanted a God that would do things the way they wanted things done. They wanted a God they can control. A God they were comfortable with. They didn't want a God to challenge them. They didn't want a God to make them into this this, this new nation that he was developing, developing them into. He didn't want them. They didn't want him to make them a peculiar people. They didn't want any of that. They wanted deliverance. And then they wanted comfortability. They wanted a God they could fashion to their way, way of thinking. So they made a God after their own liking. They took off some of their jewelry and they fashioned a golden calf. And guess what they called the golden calf? They called it Jehovah. In 2022, people are removing the idea of God. And you know what we're doing? We're just taking his name and putting it on the The symbols. And the things that we're comfortable with. We're not replacing God. If you ask a majority of people say I believe in God. But they're taking Jehovah. And they're putting it on what they're comfortable with. And they bowed down and they worshiped this golden calf. They had prioritized the blessing but not the blesser. And as you can imagine either God or Moses was really excited about this development. Moses comes down from the mountain. And he hears the people engaging in pagan worship. He's so livid. That he's got these tablets of God's law that he had just received. He throws them down and they're dashed into pieces. And he goes down. Now listen, I, I don't know if I can handle Moses as a pastor. I really don't. I, I don't. Some anger management. We're going to have to send Moses to counseling for anger management. That's what we've got to do. He breaks the commandments. Dashing them into pieces. You know what he does? He goes grinds up the golden calf and puts it in the water supply and tells the people, drink. Moses. Moses, Moses. Is that really what you came up with? You you, you grinded up the golden calf and you put it in the water and you made them drink. And I got to thinking, what, what were you thinking? Like if you were here, Moses, what would you tell me? And I don't know what Moses will say, but I'll tell you what the Holy Spirit impressed on me. Moses was proving to them the emptiness and worthlessness of their new God. Water sprinkled with gold. Are you ready? Revelation. It's still just water. Wine served in the most bejeweled cup is still wine. The glory of the substance has nothing to do with the vessel it's still about the water and it's still about the wine and God was God was showing those people it's never about materialistic gold it's not you look you can be it, be it, dress it up how you want but it's always going to be about the water and it's always going to be about the wine it's always going to be about the substance it's never going to be about anything materialistic we can dress this building up. Are you ready? We can put gold. Y'all want to put some gold in here? We can, we can bedazzle the whole sanctuary. I'm talking about, I'm talking about we, we can dress it up. Like we, we, can, we can do some things in here. But if the substance isn't here, if the presence isn't here, if the glory of God isn't here, then this building is of no use. What makes the church the church, you ready, is not new carpet, not a new platform, not great music. What makes the church the church is when he told Moses, I want you to build me a sanctuary so I can dwell among my people. The presence of God is what somebody needs to understand. We got to have the presence. There's got to be an anointing. It's got to be supernatural. It can't be normal or natural. It's got to be supernatural natural he rebukes Aaron who made the calf at the people's request poor Aaron poor Aaron Moses temperamental Aaron's weak minded just together they made it work and he deals harshly with the people who refuse to repent but God's not satisfied even this does not appease his anger and frustration with these rebellious people God tells the Israelites he said I'm going to give you the promised land I'm going to send an angel ahead of you I'm going to drive out the inhabitants of the land. He said, I made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I'm going to make good on my promise because that's what I do. He said, but if I go with you, I'm going to have to kill you. That's what he said. He said, if we go into the promised land and y'all still acting like this, there's going to be a problem. And God said, I'm too merciful. I just brought y'all out. I don't want to have to take you. I just delivered you. And he gives them a glimmer of hope. He said, listen, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take off everything that you brought from Egypt. Everything you took from the past, I want you to take it off. And the people quickly started taking all the jewels off that they obtained from the Egyptians, knowing that some of the very wealth, you see, the problem wasn't the Egyptian wealth. The problem was the misuse of the Egyptian wealth. And they started taking all this stuff off they brought from Egypt, removing it as a sign of remorse. And you know what God was telling them? He said, "If I'm going to stay, you got to make room for me. You got too much of an Egyptian mentality. If I'm going to dwell among you and I'm going to go with you, you got to you got to unclutter. You got to get some stuff out of your life. You got to make me a priority. You got to separate yourself from the secondary. You got to you got to focus on the primary." In a Deadwood, South Dakota Mug- museum. There's an inscription left by a prospector whose life expectancy had grown very short. He wrote, I lost my gun. I lost my horse. I'm out of food. The Indians are after me, but I've got all the gold I can carry. Because, listen, guys, you know what we're doing? We're trying to pick up everything we can in this world. We're trying to grab everything we can, and it's weighing us down, and it's cluttering out the presence of God, and he wants to do something in our life. But we got all this stuff we're picking up, all this materialistic stuff that doesn't even, it's not even going to matter when we get to the other side. When we breathe our last breath, it's not going to matter. But we got all the gold we can get, We got all the favor, all the blessings, all the goodness of God. But What about the presence of God? Why are we so wrapped up in the secondary? That we've lost focus of the primary. How many times have we went through the motions and we forgot about his presence? How many times have we got sidetracked by a lesser cause? All the while God is saying, I just want to dwell among you. I I want to be with you. I want you to feel my presence. I want you to have an experience with me. Wasn't that the message that Jesus kindly but firmly told to Martha? You remember the two sisters of Lazarus who entertained Jesus and the disciples when they passed through Bethany near Jerusalem? It was a hospitable home where Jesus found much needed rest. But on one occasion, only a week or so from Christ's crucifixion, Martha was busy in the kitchen while Mary was seated at the feet of Jesus, listening to his words. And when Martha asked Jesus to rebuke Mary for her lethargy, Jesus shook his head and said, Martha, you are cumbered about with many things. You got too much baggage. You got too much baggage. Martha, you know what he said? But only one thing is needful, and that's me, and that's my presence in your life. And today I've come to say there's only one thing needful. I need your presence more than I do anything else. More than the air I breathe, I need the presence of God. More than the songs we sing, I need the presence of God. More than my next heartbeat, I need the presence of God more than anything. I need the presence of God because those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be field there's a man by the name of Obed-Edom who made room in his house when King David needed a place to store the ark a symbol of God's divine presence for 90 days the presence of God stayed in the house of Obed-Edom and the word says his house was blessed 90 days and the blessings of God were so apparent On this man and his home and his family. That word got back to the king of how rich the favor of God was on him and his house. People knew about Obed-Edom. People talked about it. You see, the mishandling of God's presence cost Uzzah his life. But the welcoming of God's presence brought Obed-Edom a blessing. And Obed-Edom was blessed and he showed it. His house was blessed. His children were blessed. His animals were blessed. His roof stopped leaking. The weeds stopped growing in the flower beds. That ain't happened at the river yet. And everything was blessed. His house was just blessed. Because if you welcome the presence of God, blessings will flow with the presence of God. The blessings were so prominent in the house of Obed-Edom that after 90 days, the king came, David. He said, I got to get the ark back. I can't can't live without it. I see what it's doing for you. I got to get the presence of God. And soon you find Obed-Edom with the presence of God being removed from his house. And taken to a place of worship. And we know how David brought that presence. Go read it. He brought that ark in with what? Dancing. Six steps. And he danced. They offered a sacrifice. And he danced with all his might and praised God. Bringing the presence of God back where it went. Now watch this. Back then, the presence of God was represented in that box, that ark. So when it left the house of Obed-Edom, he didn't know what to do. Because he didn't want to live anymore without the presence of God. So do you know what you find Obed-Edom doing? He starts volunteering for the position of musicians and singers of the second rank. Meaning that he said, me and my family is going to be the backup team for the praise group at 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 the place of worship. At the church. We're going to be the backup praise team because I've had had this this ark, this presence of God in my house for 90 days, and now it's it's, it's at a tent where people are worshiping and praising and magnifying. I can't live without it. So sign me up, David. I want to be the backup praise team. And then we find him. You know what else we find? We find him volunteering as a doorkeeper. His family are now doorkeepers. They're backup singers. They're doorkeepers. And then we find them volunteering to minister around the tabernacle, to sweep the floors, pick up trash, knock down the cobwebs. Why is that? Obed-Edom and his family couldn't bear to live without the presence of God after they had it in their house. David then said, I need some gatekeepers to the city. Lots were cast. There was four gatekeepers chosen. Do you know who who one of those gatekeepers were to the south? Obed-Edom. God's presence for 90 days in his home had radically changed Obed-Edom's priorities. What mattered beforehand no longer mattered today. His priorities had completely changed. He wanted to be in the presence of the Lord. That's what he wanted more than anything else. And he was willing to do anything to stay close to the presence of God. It changed his family. Not only did Obed-Edom become a gatekeeper to God's house, but we read that years later he had 62 descendants. You know what they did? They served in the house of God. 62 descendants couldn't get away from the presence of God that Obed-Edom had in his house for 90 days. And the Bible says they were able men with strength to work. This man not only let God's presence work in his life, but he let it work in his family's life because when you truly get exposed when you truly have an encounter and you understand that this is your lifeline and you understand i'm broken and i'm tired and i'm weary you can't get enough of it i can't get enough of it i've just got to get more of the present i can't i just can't wait every day just to spend 10 15 minutes in his presence and that's what that's where moses was at he had experienced the burning bush incident the opening of the red sea he had seen water gush from a rock and had eaten Bread from heaven, but he said, God, all that's yesterday news. It was great, God, and I thank you for it, but I want more. I want a fresh, deeper knowledge of you, God. Moses was like a hungry man who sat down to an elegant meal. He wasn't satisfied to nibble on an appetizer or sample the soup. He wanted to feast on the goodness of the Lord. He was like the psalmist that said, as a deer panteth by the water, that's my heart for you, God. I just want to experience your presence. Musicians, you can come. Because today, can I tell the river? God doesn't want mere church goers. He wants people that want his presence. And the word says that God Moses went to God and he talked to him face to face. It's a figure of speech that means openly and honestly. you know what God did? He reversed it. He said, Moses, I'm not gonna make you go up without me. He said, I, he said, I'm not gonna make you do it. He said, The people uncluttered their lives, they got everything back in order. I know they were rebellious. I know they were hard-headed, but things are shifting. Moses, you're not going to have to go up without my presence. And I love what Moses did in verse 15. He said, God, thank you, thank you, thank you. He said, but let let, let me clarify my position, God. Thank you for that word. But let me tell you how much I prioritize your presence. If we try to go anywhere and you're not going, I'm not going. Moses said, I'm not going forward. I'm not going side to side, backwards. If your presence doesn't go, I'm not going. Now, don't get me wrong. Can we go on without his presence today? Absolutely. God tells him, he said, y'all can go up without me. You can still have the promised land. You can still build your houses. You can still plant your crops. You can raise your families. You can give your children over to marriage. You can go up and live without me. I mean, Israel could have. Do you know what that implies to me? And it scares me that there are Christians who have learned to live without being in the presence of God. you know what that implies to me? That I had to do inventory this week? There are preachers that know how to preach without the presence of God. There are churches that function Without the presence of God ever being present. and I can't speak for everybody. But I will speak today for Josh Payne. And as long as I'm pastor at the river, we won't add 30 feet. We won't build another sanctuary. We won't do anything unless this place is saturated with the presence of a God that can still break chains, that can still heal any manner of disease, that can still do the impossible. I'm done. It was so important to God. He robed himself in flesh and became Emmanuel, God with us. Near us, with us, beside us. But it gets even better. When Jesus left this world, he told his followers that he would not leave them powerless. But the Holy Spirit would show up and it would not merely just move on people. But it would dwell in the vessels of humanity. And in 2 Chronicles, 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 3 and 17, now... The Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is. There's not bondage. There's not bickering and arguing and fighting. There's a, there's a liberty of the presence of God. I read a book. It was a biography of Smith Wigglesworth's life. And there was a young pastor that says, I want to I be in the prayer room. I want to sit next to Wigglesworth, and I want to listen to him pray. Old Wigglesworth granted this young pastor his petition. He said, come with me, we're going to go pray. They go in a prayer room and they're praying. And in this biography, this pastor tells the story. He said, I'm sitting there praying. And he says, as I'm praying next to him, God's glory began to settle in that prayer room. Listen to what he said. He said, it was so thick in there that I literally said, this is too much of God. He said, I had to get on my hands and knees and crawl out that prayer room. Because Wigglesworth was calling down that glory. For that. I've been in this building. Y'all going to think it's crazy, but I don't care. I've been in this building to where glory clouds settled on the side. I've been in services. Is that biblical? Go read about Solomon's temple. The glory of the Lord was so thick in that temple that they couldn't even minister been in here to where there was literally a manifestation god. but you know what you know what's happening right now in 2022 the world is telling us man that's too much and y'all come to the altar and weep and cry and pray and the holy ghost moves and y'all minister and god does that and y'all run and dance and shout what is all that i could tell you what it is it's in the book yeah. I want to be in the book. I don't care about anything else. I want a manifestation of God's presence. I want to be in the book. I want an outpouring of God's presence. (laughs) Let's stand. Give me one more second. I'm done. I want you to stand. But I want to tell you what kind of revival I want at the river. I want to tell you what I want to happen. I'm not looking for average or mundane. I want the same type of revival that happened in New Hebrides. When officials sent for Duncan Campbell, who was conducting nightly revival services in that region, they told the evangelists, would you please come down to the police station? There's a whole group of people here, and we don't know what's wrong with them, but you, you may. And as the man walked with the officials through the village to the police station at four in the morning, he said it was like a plague had come to that village. People were weeping and praying behind every haystack and every door. Men were kneeling on the street corners and ladies and children in their nightgowns were huddled around each other in their open doorways, weeping and crying. And when the evangelist finally reached the police station, he found even more people weeping and crying out to the police. What is wrong? The police didn't know what to do. What is going on? They didn't even know enough about God to know it was the presence of God saturating that village. They just knew something was wrong and that they were guilty. And these people didn't even know why they were repenting, but they were repenting. They were turning themselves in. The only thing they knew to do with the presence of God was go to the police station and confess that something was wrong. You know what was wrong? The sin in their hearts had been exposed to the presence of God. Because there was an evangelist that knew the importance and the priority of God's presence. And when these people began to flood the police station with their confessions of wrongdoing, the police didn't have an answer. So they went and got the evangelist. And that evangelist stood on the steps of that police station early that morning. And he preached the gospel in the presence of Jesus Christ. And salvation started being poured out. Because somebody said, the presence of God is a priority in my life what i want that's what i want i want that cloud i want that isaiah 6 anointing i want the captive to be set free i want that i want it i want it i want it i want i want god to step into this building and 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 literally break chains of decades and centuries of demonic dominion i'm talking about where changes fall off people and people that have cancer are healed and oh we don't believe that in 2022 Listen, I know it gets scary. Tommy Tenney's book, God Chasers. and This is the last story and we're going to come to this altar. One of the pastors he knew had a brother-in-law who was an atheist. In fact, he wasn't just an atheist. He was an evangelistic atheist. You know those? He was the kind of guy whom. You wanted to avoid at family gatherings because he was always caused trouble and started heated arguments. But in the middle of God's invasion of this pastor's church, God was just pouring out his presence. His anointing was falling. Things were happening. This particular brother-in-law called the pastor's wife, who was his sister. He said, look, I'm flying in. Would you come pick me up? I just want to spend a couple days with you. Just come get me. Let's hang out. The pastor knew something was up because this brother-in-law had never done that before. They go get him. When he arrived at the airport, this pastor it was obvious when he seen the brother-in-law that he didn't... The brother-in-law didn't even know what he was doing there at the airport. It was the strangest thing. There they were trying to make conversation with each other when they had nothing in common. They talked about the weather and... Then it would break out into an awkward silence. Anybody ever been there? I'm guilty of that. The Car ride was miserable. Didn't know what to talk about. But as they passed by the church pastor said, that's the church. We just finished remodeling. Since the brother-in-law had never seen it, figuring it was yet another way to plug an awkward moment of silence, the pastor said, would you like to go see the church building? To his complete surprise, his atheist brother-in-law said, yes, I would. The pastor pulled into the church parking lot and then unlocked the door to the church building. His brother-in-law was right behind him, and the pastor's wife was third in line. The pastor stepped inside and held the door open for his brother-in-law. And the moment the man's foot touched the floor on the other side of the threshold, he crumpled in a heap and began to weep and cry, My God, help me, I'm not ready. My God, help me, I'm not ready. What am I doing, God? What's going on right now, God? I'm not ready. I'm not ready. He grabbed the pastor and he said, Tell me what I need to do. And the whole time he was crawling on the floor, crying uncontrollably. So this pastor led his brother-in-law to the Lord right there while he was sprawled. Half in, half out of the church. He led him to the Lord. And I know what you're thinking. Pastor, what happened? I'll tell you what happened. Her atheist brother had encounter with the residue or lingering presence of the glory of God. as soon as he regained as soon as he regained a measure of coherence they asked him what happened to you he said i don't know how to explain it all i know is that when i was outside the building i was an atheist and i didn't believe god existed but when i stepped across that threshold i met with a presence that i could not deny come on he said i knew i had to get it right I knew I had been a horrible failure in my life. I knew that I had to give myself to God. What would happen if there was so much glory here that the residue of this sanctuary went out into our communities? But I'm telling you, I battled it at 9 and I'm battling it at 11. And I'm not, I'm not meaning to be doom and gloom. I'm preaching to myself today. The river is at a crossroads. To where God's been so good and He's led us to the promised land. And we got all these nice facilities and campuses and God's doing great. But we're at a place to where on this Sunday morning, God is asking the question Have you forgot about the most important thing? Some of you have been delivered and set free, it's been a while since you felt His presence. So today, God, I confess. I confess I need you today more than I've ever need you. God, I pray right now you'll give me a heart and a passion after you more than I've ever had before. God, I pray that you'll release your presence through this place and these people, God. I pray that it'll be the same type of revivals that we read about in the word of God and that we read about in the early church. God, I pray right now may the manifest presence of your glory saturate us. May the unsaved be called. May it shake our communities. Let revive grow to 400 people that's been delivered and set free. God, let them come from the north, the south. When they, when they walk in here, let them fall on their face and say, there's something about the pra- Is there anybody that wants his presence? Is there anybody that will run to this altar and kneel down and say, God, I want your presence today, God. We're going down.